This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by The Living Altar. The Living Altar is the ritual and performance art project of community witches Kiki Robinson and Ilva Mara Rajajewski, creators of the Living Altar Oracle Deck. The Living Altar Oracle Deck is a guide to the witch's wheel and a divinatory aid for everyone from the curious observer of witching ways to the novice witch to the seasoned practitioner and to the weathered witches among us. Ooh, I might be a weathered witch. This deck is an altar of the seasons, the phases of the moon, the stations of the sun, the journey of life, and a holy embodiment of magic. And I myself can attest to its beauty and inventiveness. Purchase your deck now at www.livingaltar.com and follow Kiki and Ilva's project on Instagram at The Living Altar for loads of free digital spells. This episode of The Witch Wave is sponsored by the Many Moons Lunar Planner. Every witch's favorite spiritual guide and the original Lunar Planner is now available to pre-order. Infuse your everyday life with ritual, intention, creative coaching, and magic, alongside practical ideas and encouragements to live your most authentic life. With astrological and energetic monthly forecasts, lunar essays, tarot spreads, prompts for self-discovery, and so much more, you'll be grounded and resourced for our upcoming 2023 Chariot Year. This coming year's edition features yours truly and many other special guests from the witching world and beyond. Order your Many Moons Lunar Planner at moon-studio.co. That's moon-studio.co or by clicking the link in the show notes. The world is filled with bewitching people and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. And welcome to season six of The Witch Wave. I am so happy to be back, and I hope that you've had a magnificent summer and that you are feeling as excited and hopeful as I am about the start to fall. Summer is always a really interesting time for me because I try and use it to replenish my energy and live a little slower, but perhaps paradoxically that means I often find myself working on all kinds of other projects that I'm not able to focus on as fully during the rest of the year. And so my summer was busy, but it was also a really lovely one. 
I got to spend lots of time at the mountain house with friends and family. And just the other weekend, I got to officiate the wedding of my dear friends, Christy and Lauren, which was the deepest of honors. The last few months also gave me time to start developing and teaching more solo workshops. Perhaps you joined me for my Magic Circles workshop in August, and if you missed it, have no fear because you can download it from the Witchwave shop now. And I also finally, finally, finally wrote down an invocation to help you cast your own magic circles, and I got my gifted friend and assistant, Lara Antal, to illustrate it, and so you can now download the Calling Circle digital zine from the Witchwave shop now as well. But I'm very much getting into the autumnal spirit. This time of year when they say the goddess Persephone begins her descent back into Hades, and the days shorten and the temperature drops. I'm eating all the pomegranates and all the apples and honey, and if you have a romantic sensibility, and if you're listening to this show, I think that's a pretty safe assumption, then you probably also love this time of year when the light becomes burnished and the leaves turn the color of flames. Of course, we witches also ready ourselves for the spooky season. And on that note, on October 27th, I'll be teaching a Samhain workshop called The Afterpath. And this will help guide you in celebrating autumn rites and connecting with ancestors. And yes, this workshop will be recorded as well if you can't make it live. So do be sure to sign up over at pamgrossman.com events or via the link in my Instagram bio at phantasmophile. This time of year also makes me more contemplative. And I've been contemplating what season six of this podcast means or could mean. I love doing this show so, so much, and I have no plan of stopping anytime soon. But I do want it to keep growing and glowing, and so I'm putting the intention out there for this show to continue to be a space that celebrates magic and the archetype of the witch in all its forms, and that it illuminates, educates, and entertains, and that it becomes an even brighter and wider space of wonder and respect evolution and revolution. I'll be lighting a candle of gratitude to you all for listening, to Spirit for working through me and through my collaborators and guests, and through this show overall, and to manifesting a successful and truly enchanting season six. So mote it be. Six is also one of my favorite numbers, it is considered fortuitous from a numerological standpoint because it is balanced and supportive. In Jewish mysticism, the six-sided Star of David is derived from the Seal of Solomon, a magical symbol of harmony and balance, which is essentially like the Jewish yin-yang, 
and its component parts can be broken into above and below, masculine and feminine, air, fire, water, earth, and so on. In nature, bees build their honeycombs with six-sided cells, and the atoms of quartz crystals are arranged in hexagonal patterns. You may have also noticed that to celebrate Season 6 of The Witch Wave, we have a brand new logo, and I've always loved how the WW of The Witch Wave is a secret six as well with those six branches. Not a 666, let's be clear, just a six. I wanted to kick Season 6 off with an extra special guest. And I could think of no better person than someone who is themselves a living crystalline balance of energies. And that is my friend and the first returning Witch Wave guest, the bewitchingly brilliant drag queen Jinx Monsoon. Jinx was one of the main sources of joy that I experienced this summer as I, along with so much of the rest of the world, reveled in watching her compete in the first all-winners season of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. And despite already being an enormous fan of hers, I was blown away by getting to witness how she used her seemingly infinite talent wit, and witchiness to win the whole dang thing this season and become the RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Queen of All Queens. Whew. It was such an inspiration and such a delight to get to speak with her during her victory lap a few weeks back. But before we get to that, First, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Miles writes, I'm living in Queens, New York, and I come from a strong, diverse, witchy immigrant background. This has given me somewhat of an identity crisis when it comes to my spiritual life because I'm a vessel for so many cultures and it's hard to find a ritual practice that speaks to every part of me. I have an Ashkenazi, Slavic, Celtic, and Italian lineage and each carries so much wisdom and ancient knowledge that I'm hungry to connect to. My question is this. What is the most appropriate way to connect to such a vast range of practices without disrespecting my ancestors? How do I hybridize my ritual practices to incorporate these cultures without losing the magic and essence of the place it came from? I'm feeling overwhelmed and disconnected, which I think is very common for descendants of immigrants of multiple cultures. Any guidance? is much appreciated. Hi, Miles. Well, we've been talking already today about balance and integration, and so your note really, really speaks to me. And I first want to affirm that, yes, I think so many of us feel overwhelmed and disconnected because so much magical knowledge of various regions has been diluted or lost whether due to theft or persecution or assimilation or erasure, 
and just erosion of magical traditions in general. And that's particularly true for those of us here in America whose ancestors immigrated here under harsh circumstances or who were forcibly brought here. And I can understand why you might be feeling this quadruply so given the various branches of your family tree. But your question is essentially, how do I approach these different parts of myself and how do I honor my ancestors respectfully? And from my perspective, the answer is the same whether one does this work to reconnect with one heritage or four. And that is to do so slowly, patiently, creatively, personally, and with loving intentions. I would start by first setting up an ancestor altar, and this could be just one candle or a gorgeous giant table overflowing with photos and objects representing different parts of your family line. And I would simply light that candle one day or one night and introduce yourself or reintroduce yourself, as the case may be, to your ancestors as best as you can. You can say something like, my beloved ancestors, my name is Miles, I'm here, I remember you, I thank you for my life, and I would love to learn more about you so that I can honor you. Please show me what I need to know. Simple, simple, simple. You don't have to speak in some highfalutin language. You can speak to them just as you would speak respectfully and lovingly, but familiarly as if they were a person sitting next to you in the material world. If you have an offering of some favorite foods or drink or flowers for them, that can always help too. But then you just wait and see what signs emerge over the next days, weeks, months, and you may want to continue doing this practice. Now, I have no idea if you will be smacked on the head by a book of Italian witchcraft that falls off your shelf, or if some Slavic song will be playing from the doorway of a shop that beckons you inside, or what. But I promise you, that you will start to be led in the direction or directions that you need to go. And I would also just add from a practical standpoint that if you Google these different cultures along with the words folk magic or folklore, you will be brought into a world of marvels. But it's ultimately up to you to find your own path and make your own way and figure out how to best express your own magic. As witches, integration of all of our parts is what we do. The light and the shadow, the seasons, the elements, the masculine and feminine and non-binary, all of it. And on the same token... Your ancestral rights are rightfully yours, as long as you approach them with respect and with the humbleness to ask for some help from your loved ones who have passed. And also don't forget about the loved ones who are still alive, too. If you have any relatives or friends or chosen family who share any of this cultural history, they're great resources as well. 
Good luck on your journey and happy hybridizing. Now, on to my guest. Jinx Monsoon, whose pronouns are she, her, they, them, is the, quote, internationally tolerated cabaret icon who's taken over the entertainment industry as an award-winning actress, acclaimed vocalist, and theater sensation. She is the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 5 and the recent winner of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 7, amongst a cast of all-winning contestants, making her the first-ever Queen of All Queens. Since gaining a massive international fan base, Jinx has toured the world performing her original cabaret shows with music partner Major Scales, including highly acclaimed shows like The Ginger Snapped, which I got to see and which was so fucking incredible, The Vaudevillians, and their most recent production, Together Again Again. In 2018, Jinx partnered with her best friend and sister RuPaul's Drag Race star, Ben De La Creme, for their first major holiday tour to Jesus Thanks for Everything, Jinx and Dela. Jinx and Dela's co-written holiday productions have grown into a worldwide phenomenon, spawning the 2019 tour, All I Want for Christmas is Attention, a Hulu holiday hit, the Jinx and Dela holiday special, and the return of the Jinx and Dela holiday show live, which performed for sold-out audiences across the U.S., U.K., and Canada. You may have also seen Jinx on stage, having won the Gregory Award for her portrayal of Hedwig in Hedwig and the Angry Inch, or on film and TV in such things as the CBS cop drama Blue Bloods, the Netflix original AJ and the Queen, or you may have heard her voice in such animated shows as Steven Universe. Jinx also has several albums out, including a new EP called The Virgo Odyssey Prologue, which you can hear now. Jinx joined me from their home in Portland, Oregon, via Zoom. Jinx Monsoon, welcome back to the Witch Wave. Thank you so much for having me, Pam. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you back. And first of all, come on, congratulations, congratulations, <laughs> queen of all motherfucking queens. I'm so <laughs> happy for you and so proud of you. Thank you so much. I'm quite happy and proud myself. I've had every single possible emotion <laughs> related to this season of Drag Race and my recent win. And I finally plateaued at just feeling very content, feeling very accomplished, and then also feeling very optimistic for where things are going to go next for me. Even just the things that I've always been doing, like my holiday show with Dela. We've been doing that for like five years now. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like even optimistic for just my recurring projects to keep going on now that I've, you know, proven to myself. I, I, I think I know what I'm doing at this point. <laughs> 
Yes, I think that is the understatement of the century, (laughs) but absolutely. So I'd love to kind of just like place listeners in space and time right now because we're recording a couple weeks before this is going to air. So we're speaking now at the end of August. You've had some time to kind of marinate in the juices of your win. And I'd love for you to kind of track us a little bit, even from the night you found out that you won. And some listeners, I think, don't even realize that you do not find out live that you won, like what we're seeing in the season finale of you accepting mm-hmm. your crown and so on. That's sort of pre-recorded. And can you explain that process for people who yeah. might not be familiar? So they always film multiple endings to avoid any leaks getting out. Mm-hmm. So the winner of each season does not find out that they win until the final episode airs. So we find out at the same time that the rest of the world finds out. So we had the time to prepare for the season. We filmed the season, then a year of waiting, Ugh. and then three more months for the season to air <laughs> to find out who the winner was. We're talking about like between the phone call for doing it and finding out that I won, this is like a year and a half. Oh um, my goodness. A year and eight months maybe. Talk about delayed gratification, my stars. <laughs> That's wild. And then I had to go through all the emotions of like, I'm a Virgo. We're entering Virgo season. I had to analyze it from every angle. I had to feel <laughs> happy about it. I had to feel sad about it. I had to contemplate what would have happened if the other outcome had happened. I had to like do the whole multiverse of madness, <laughs> like Virgo analysis of my win. Yes. But I have to say um, quite recently, um, I feel like I had what I didn't realize I needed. My husband knew I needed it. He told me day one, I needed this. Recently, I had a Zoom call with all the other cast members. Mm. And just kind of reflecting on the season, hearing everyone else's experiences, you know, just speaking very candidly with each other, no like cameras or producers or press people around. And it was extremely cathartic and it was exactly what I needed. And since that phone call, I have just been walking on cloud nine. I've given up analyzing any other possible endings. I am just fully living in the sense of feeling good about my accomplishments. And that feeling was given to me by the other castmates. When we had our Zoom call, it was kind of like we just touched base with each other Mm. after this like very, very all-encompassing, extremely challenging thing was finished for all of us. (laughs) We were on the other side of it. So yes, yes. That's so beautiful. I love hearing that. And so when you found out as well, you were with Dela, right? You were with one of your best friends. Am I right about that? One of my best friends, my drag sister in the truest sense of the word. We were in Australia on a club tour together and it was a show night. So um, I was in the middle of doing my makeup, but I was moving very slowly that night because I had a lot on my mind. And then we saw the results. I found out I was the winner. And then I had to quickly finish my makeup. (laughs) Then we did the show that night and Ah. we were on tour for like another four or five days together. Then I went from Australia to Scotland 
to perform in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which we were supposed to perform there for the first time three years ago. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but I recently experienced a pandemic. Oh, I heard a little (laughs) something about that. Sure, sure. (laughs) I don't know if you can relate, but... um... Hmm, Not at all. Not at all. It's happened to some nice people I know, but... (laughs) So... We're performing in Scotland for like two and a half weeks. Then I come back. I do Comic-Con. I do Drag Becomes Her with Dela and my music partner, Major Scales, and my drag mother, Peaches Christ. Yes. And then yesterday was my first day home. A friend picked me up from the airport. I got home. I saw my cats. And then I pretty much passed out on the couch and was asleep until I got up for this podcast. (laughs) Oh my goodness. The witch wave alarm clock. There you are. Well, how does it feel then? I mean, you haven't really had time to be home and awake too long to really process it. But I wonder if did traveling that much make the experience of winning feel a little bit abstract and removed? Or was it like a nice cushion? It kept you grounded, as it were. I think both of those things are true because on the one hand, I kept using the phrase, it doesn't live in my body yet. Like my body doesn't viscerally understand that I won drag race for a second time. Mm -hmm. I think now I do, even though I just got home, I just spent like, you know, four days with some of my closest friends. Yeah. I don't know. Being with Dela was wonderful because I had someone who's been with me through the entire thing. And we didn't get to celebrate my first win together because mm. I was in New York. And so we were together for this one. And it was very, very significant. But it still took me a while to like register that it had happened. Then in Scotland, it's like, you know, people are coming up to me and recognizing me everywhere I go. My husband, you know, who's used to me being recognized at gay bars, hasn't really experienced what it's like when I'm currently on TV. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) It must be a whole nother level. And I imagine that's complicated. Yeah, you know, we're very communicative, almost (laughs) to a fault. Like, we tell each other what's on our minds immediately. Yes, (laughs) yes, unfiltered. (laughs) So I was spending time with my music partner and my husband, and that was making it feel more real. Then I had the Zoom call with the castmates, and it was like this final puzzle piece that made the whole thing kind of come together. And now I'm home and I want to buy a new fridge. Now that's like, <laughs> that's like, that's on my mind. I'm like, oh my I hate my fridge. The fridge came with the house. I want a new fridge. Yes. Well, I'm sure a lot of people have asked you, like, what are you going to do with your winnings? Which is kind of a gauche question. But I think a new fridge is like, that's solid. That's super solid. You know, it's not a gauche question when it's prize money. I think prize (laughs) money, it's like you're allowed to ask people, what are you going to do with your prize money? It's like unexpected money. But I will admit that I'm going to be quite adult about it. Like most of it's going into home stuff. Most Mm -hmm. of it's going into like some projects I've had put off. Rue always says, and remember to pay your taxes. Oh, I've I've paid my taxes since <laughs> day one. Don't worry. Fabulous. The the kind of splurgy thing is it's not even a splurge. It's just like, you know, 
my husband and I haven't gotten our wedding rings yet because he's immigrating from the UK to America, which everyone's like, why, why? <laughs> but we want to yeah. be together. Yeah, You're going in the wrong direction, my friend. Exactly. <laughs> you want to go away from yes. Gilead. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. We have placeholder rings, which has actually been nice because it's kind of like practice. It's like when the health teacher gives you an egg, <laughs> the simulated baby. Yes. I'm such a klutz. Quite honestly, I've been through three practice wedding rings already. Yes, yes. So, so that's why it, you have a fruit roll up tight around your <laughs> finger. Got it. Got it. Well, listen, congratulations so much on your wedding. I saw that you got married and I was so thrilled for you. Can you share any little taste of what your ceremony was like? Or if you'd rather keep it private, that's fine too. Our ceremony it's very, very funny because I have had like this dream wedding for so long planned in my head. And it was very performative and very funny. Smoke machines. I wanted a revolving platform <laughs> that we got married on. I wanted seating in the round. Yes. All this stuff. And of course, that was like before I actually, you know, met the person I wanted to marry. By the time Michael and I were getting married, you know, it was the middle of the pandemic. We realized we didn't want to wait any longer for anything else to happen. Mm -hmm. And there was a possibility that Trump was going to be elected a second time. Yeah. So we were like, we got to get married before the election, before anything else can change. Yes. So we ended up doing it in my living room. Um, with my friend and both mine and Michael's, like one of our favorite performers, Devin Green, she FaceTimed in and <laughs> we put the iPad on a mannequin and the mannequin was dressed in a suit and a judge's robe. <laughs> <laughs> the only physical witnesses were my housemates who are chosen family and my cats. But then we had hundreds of people watching on Zoom. So everyone from my blood family, Michael's blood family, our chosen families, drag queens all over the world. It was an international affair. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. My youngest brother watched while like on a hike drinking a yerba mate. <laughs> it was all very, very like us. Perfect. It ended up being the absolute perfect wedding. We were happy. It ended up being perfect for us because we had yet to figure out how we were going to get all of our family and friends into one place. So if you're someone who has people scattered all over the world, I highly suggest Zoom weddings. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Fall is here, and with the cool autumn air and darkening evenings comes an ancient tool for creating the perfect sacred setting or cozy moment. Of course I'm talking about Mithras candles. These pure beeswax lights are inspired by the modern science of photobiology, along with ancient pagan practices and cosmic mysteries. Mithras candles are handmade by my mythic and scientific pals in Philadelphia and come in traditional golden yellow and sensual black hues, with other colors and collaborations popping up seasonally. 
You will be hooked like I am once you experience the gorgeous Byzantine hand-dripped style of a Mithras candle and their honeyed floral aroma. Go to MithrasCandle.com to pick up the perfect glowing addition to your Maven moments and more. And best of all, Witchwave listeners get 18% off their first order by using offer code WITCH at checkout. That's offer code WITCH at M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, candle.com. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Now look, I'm an air sign with anxiety, so I confess I'm sometimes stuck in my head and focused on stress and problems more than I'd like. But in addition to witchcraft, I have found therapy to be incredibly supportive because it helps me focus on solutions when I'm faced with a problem rather than just staying stuck in this feedback loop of focusing on what's hard. I've been in therapy myself for years, and talking to a therapist really helps me shift from a mindset of resisting what is into a mode of acceptance and problem solving, which has been such a relief. And that's why I'm so glad that BetterHelp exists. BetterHelp is an online platform for therapy, which means that it's convenient, accessible, and affordable. And that also means that more people can benefit from talking to a therapist. Being in therapy myself over the years has helped me manage my anxiety and PTSD because it provides me with an impartial, caring person whose sole job is to offer support with emotional challenges. Therapy has also helped me accomplish my goals, whether big or small. Quitting my corporate day job a few years back and writing my book, Waking the Witch, and starting this very podcast were all really exciting and also extremely nerve-wracking, and I truly don't think that I would be as fully actualized as a person doing what I love now without having had that help. And I want that for everyone. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option because you can do it virtually. To get started and matched with a therapist who you click with, you just need to fill out a brief survey and remember that you can switch therapists at any time. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave. Be well with BetterHelp. Welcome back to the WitchWave. Today I'm speaking with Jinx Monsoon. So Jinx, I know everyone's probably asked you this, but I haven't. So (laughs) I would love to know. You know, you had already won your season. You were working steadily, beloved, etc. What <laughs> made you say yes when RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars came knocking on your door for this season? It was a lot of things. It was feeling really ready, but also feeling like I think the reason I said yes is because I knew even if I didn't do this, I'd still be okay. 
When I did Drag Race the first time, it was because I was ready for a step forward in my life. And that's essentially where I was at when I said yes the second time. But I had to also, you know, examine every angle, plot out every eventuality. Virgo it up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And so there was a huge anxiety around doing it. But the two people in my life who said very key phrases to me that caused my decision was Dela saying, you should do this because you're doing well. <laughs> you could not do this and you'd still be doing great and have a fruitful career. So you're not going into it with any sense of desperation or mm -hmm. any sense of need. This will really just be for you to show off who you've become in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. And then my husband said, when the season's airing, if you're not on it, you're going to be so pissed off that you're not on it. So <laughs> you might as well do it so that you're not angry later. And I, I thought both of those statements were extremely true. But big factors were Dela and I getting to this really successful place with our original work, namely the holiday special, which oh, is uh, so is, good, delicious yeah. <laughs> and nutritious. I love it so much. My music partner and I have been creating shows that we're really, really proud of. You know, I've just been on this incline lately, and a lot of it has to do with cutting alcohol out of my life. Mm, congratulations. Thank you. So... When I said yes, I was about two years sober. I'm now about three and a half, almost three and a half years sober from alcohol. Mm. And it has just kind of put me back on the original path I was on when I started all of this in the first place. I think I had gone a little astray from what my original intents were as an artist and a drag queen and a human being. Mm. I'm talking about my life plan I made for myself at like 10 years old, you know? Sure, sure. <laughs> so when they called me, I was like, I'm feeling really good. I have a lot to show off. I've evolved a lot as a human being. And I think now is the perfect time to get in front of a camera and put myself through the hardest experience <laughs> I've ever been through. Yes, fuck right, <laughs> fuck right. One of the reasons I loved watching this season so much is it was such a warm, loving season. Mm. I mean, some of the rules that changed too the fact that nobody got kicked off, the mm. fact that everyone was already a winner. And so it feels like a lot of people kind of came in. I'm sure everyone had some level of feeling like they had something to prove, but you all won. You all are queens already. So that feeling of desperation probably wasn't as present. And I feel like that shadow side of desperation often makes people then like lash out or project on other people and, and mm -hmm. drama happens. And I know some people watch this show for the drama. I do not. I like when everyone's just really nice to each other. And this show was so squishy and sweet. I loved it. Yeah, I just completely agree because, you know, the cast, of course, with none of us getting eliminated, that took a huge amount of pressure off. And production made it very clear to us that this season was meant to be a brag season hmm. and meant to be a celebration of each of us as winners. And while it was still a competition, everyone was assured time to shine. And I said we all had our own demons 
to slay in this mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. competition. Like I had moments from my last season where I wouldn't go back and do them over again, but I'd love to show how I do them today. Yes, yes. And with everything I've learned. And I feel like all of us had those things that kind of motivated us through the competition. Like I wasn't known for my fashion, so I'm going to show that I've got like a clear eye of who I am aesthetically and, and and show off the things that I've learned. Or if someone wasn't known for or hadn't done well in a specific challenge, now was their time to kind of rewrite history. Yes. And that's what the season largely was, was just us kind of celebrating our strengths, but also celebrating how we've evolved as human beings and artists and drag queens. And the only thing that got edited out that I think would have really benefited the audience to see is that that support and sisterhood that we experienced came because we worked at it. And so in an effort to like remove any sense of drama, which I'm all fine for because like the cattiness, we don't need cattiness and drama to produce good drag, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And honestly, because this season was so positive and we were all having such a good time when we did have drama, it was so minuscule, (laughs) but it felt big because it was the only drama we were having. Like the drama that, took place on set was so minor that it wouldn't have even made good television. (laughs) But when we had that drama, we worked through it as a group and we had to make the decision to kind of be forthright with our emotions, be honest and vulnerable with each other, and then talk very candidly and openly. So the sisterhood didn't just happen on its own. And this is something I feel is important for people to know. Like, I love my husband. He is the love of my life. Could not be happier to be married to him. We have to constantly work at our relationship. Like we have to constantly be honest with each other, Mm -hmm. put in the work, you know, make the decision to have the hard conversations and make the commitments to being better in the future when we've made mistakes, it doesn't just happen. And so there was a lot of work that went into the familial, loving, supportive environment that you get to witness. And I wish that some of that might have been seen by the world so that people might learn, oh, that's how I can apply that to my everyday life. But honestly, with the fucking last five years that we've all experienced as a planet, If we just have one season of Drag Race that's just 100% celebratory and fun and supportive and loving, I'm so glad it happened now. And hopefully there will be more in the future. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It was like medicine, Jinx. It really felt like a herbal unguent I just slathered all over my body and I needed it and I think the world needed it. We needed some Mm -hmm. sweetness, some affirmation, some kindness, some creativity, some joy. So I'm so grateful that that decision was made. But I also hear you that it's not like it happened just magically and effortlessly that you put some work into it, too. And I think that's important to emphasize. One thing that Madeline Miller said in the book Circe, which is one of my favorite 
favorite books. Same, same um, friend of the pod, friend of the pod. <laughs> Cersei is one of my favorite witches in history. And in the book, I think she says something to the effect that the magic comes from the toil, you mm -hmm. know, that the power comes from putting the work into it. And I, since reading that, have put that mindset into everything I do, witchcraft related, art related. I also think that my magic gets expressed through my cooking. And I think cooking is an act of like witchcraft and alchemy in itself. Mm -hmm. And I always think to myself, like when it comes to like buying pre-chopped garlic versus chopping the garlic myself, I'm like, well, if I want it to taste that extra magical, I've got to put the toil in myself because <laughs> that's where the magic is. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, I love that, Jenks. And now since you so beautifully segued into <laughs> witchcraft and you know I was just about to myself, you know, I was listening to our conversation from 2019. And during that conversation, you had already embraced witchcraft. Mm -hmm. You were already saying you were starting to take the character of Jinx Monsoon into some more witchly directions bit by bit. But mm -hmm. my goodness, did this season feel like a big <laughs> witch league coming out in a lot of ways. <laughs> and as someone who knows you and adores you, and as someone who is a witch myself, I cannot tell you the joy I felt mm -hmm. seeing all of the different aspects of the witch archetype reflected and celebrated through your drag and through your commentary. So first of all, just a big thank you for being <laughs> the best representative of witchcraft that I could have imagined. Well, what aired on the season is just part of it. And also, by the time I got there to film, I already had to swap out a few outfits because I was like, I'm going to look like a one trick pony if it's sure. all witch all the time. <laughs> sure. What I was really excited about was to just, I guess, layer in my practice of witchcraft as just another fact of me as a person and Jinx as a character. And sometimes be like, you know, really on the nose about it. But sometimes it's just like, oh, and she's also a witch, you mm -hmm. know, because one thing I've learned in my own life since we last talked, I think when you're starting out on your witch journey and you're really, really excited about it, you feel like you have to start projecting it and and um, uh, telegraphing it to the world. Like, yes, where do I get my pointed hat? Do I have to walk around with a dagger now? <laughs> like, yes, yes. Baby witches can be very <laughs> signally, shall we say. Yeah. And what I really enjoyed was that it's just like, here's Jix Monsoon. She's who you've always known her to be. And she's also a witch. Mm -hmm. And then finding the right times to really lean into it. But therapy and witchcraft is the one two punch of how I like tackle my issues in my life. Mm. It's been quite a good couple of years. <laughs> oh, I love that. Let's get into that a little bit. I know that you've been very vocal about how both therapy and witchcraft have supported you over the last few years. Can you talk about how you've integrated them a little bit more since we last spoke? Oh, I'm happy to, because I find that, especially as someone with anxiety, depression, and OCD, try to solve a lot of my problems with thought. 
I spend time when I'm having issues or trauma in my life. I spend a lot of time sitting there thinking about it as if I'm going to find some kind of solution by just really thinking really, really hard about it. Yes. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes you solve your problems with intellect, but sometimes problems are just circumstances you have to live with. Sometimes something bad happened and you can think about it all day long, but until you let yourself move on, forgive yourself or accept it, you know, acceptance of this circumstance, you're just going to spend a lot of time dwelling on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I work a lot with my therapist on things from my past ways that I'm trying to like be right now. And a lot of that is my therapist suggesting mantras or mindsets or things to get me off of dwelling and onto, you know, active participation in my life again. Yes. And I will then take things that I synthesized from my session with my therapist and then go look up a spell that will help me with those things. Then I cast the spell or create the charm or do the ritual. And then I tell my OCD, we can let go of it now because the spell's taking care of it. Like ah. we don't have to sit here dwelling on it because I just did that spell and now the spell's going to dwell on it for me. You've released it. Exactly. And I just have to say that I use witchcraft to pick up where therapy leaves off and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And that has really given me a lot of freedom. I've been able to find a lot of forgiveness and I've been able to just stop dwelling on things like a Virgo is wont to do. <laughs> sure, sure. Oh, I think that's really powerful, Jenks. You also, at some point in the show, you know, and I think you were kind of half kidding, but not really. You say, <laughs> these girls don't know that they are competing against one powerful witch. <laughs> and I'd love to hear about how your identity as a witch or practicing witchcraft may or may not have helped you through this competition. Well, I owe a lot about my witchy presentation to the world. <laughs> I owe a lot of that as thanks to you, because when we had our last conversation, when I was first on your podcast, I talked about how sometimes I worry that I'm going to offend other practicing witches by having a kind of tongue-in-cheek sense of humor about my own practice. But you have always said that, like, if you can't have a sense of humor about it, then, you know, what are we doing here? Yes. And you being so openly, like, a funny, nerdy witch, too. <laughs> Guilty. Makes me feel like, okay, there's no right or wrong way I mean, maybe there's a wrong way, but <laughs> I'm sure you'd have to go out of your way to do it wrong, you know. But I just felt so much freedom to drop it in a conversation, bring it up when I feel like someone might benefit from hearing, oh, I also practice witchcraft. <laughs> yes, yes, Jinx. You're like bringing tears to my eyes. That makes me so happy. Thank you for telling me that. And I'm thrilled for you. And I'm also just thrilled with what you created throughout the season because the way that you embodied the witch was with so much wit 
and mm. so much beauty and artistry. I mean, for me, like the the pinnacle of it was when you're doing your runway and you're burning at the stake. Mm-hmm. And I, I could imagine some people might find that like offensive. For me, I was like, fuck, yes, this is so funny. It's taking the darkest part of the history mm-hmm. of this archetype and making it camp and making it beautiful, literally making it an illuminating object of art. So I just loved everything you did that had, I mean, in general, but also that had to do with witches, <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you. And it was my best friend, Kenny, who you know and adore. Yes, I do. Longtime fan of your podcast and all of your work, who introduced me to you in the first place. Mm, thanks, Kenny. <laughs> Kenny said, when you walk down the runway burning at the stake, you should embody someone who is more powerful than the flames kenny said don't let the flames hurt you because then you're rewriting the story and then it's not like just bringing up this dark history for nothing but you can kind of rewrite the story and then of course we were largely inspired by Francis Conroy as Myrtle Snow in American Horror Story Coven, yes. which is such a campy season, but I'm obsessed to anything having to do with witches, you know, like <laughs> especially watching Francis Conroy and Jessica Lange duke it out and Angela Bassett. <laughs> so the look was very inspired by Myrtle Snow, but she also kind of rewrote the story. Like, you know, when she goes to the flame the second time, She's very empowered by it. You know, she's becoming a martyr and a saint amongst her coven. And so I was like, you know, what if this woman they tried to burn was more powerful than the flames? And she's just kind of getting a kick out of it. But I-, <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much, Jinx. I mean, the amount of times I screamed while I watched you during this season, it's you probably heard me, honestly. It was that it was that loud. I just adored it. Can you talk a little about the construction of that costume too? I mean, it was just oh, a brilliant yeah. contraption for lack of a better word. Well, all the credit goes to Diego Montoya who designed the concept and the design of the dress and then commissioned smooth technology to create the lighting effects. And so essentially, the dress is constructed of an underlayer that has all the lighting on it, all the LED lights built onto a giant hoop skirt to create the flames, and then it goes up into a bodice. Then there's a layer of diffusion so that it can have the effect of like, blurry nature of fire so it didn't look like you know yes. <laughs> like a led light show it, it wasn't a laser light show it was like a warm glow so that was the layer of diffusion and then on top was finally the dress that diego montoya designed and he was definitely inspired by myrtle snow and that was such an iconic moment in the drag world too, because it was so camp and so larger than life. And I have to say when that season Coven was airing, all drag queens became witches for like a nine month (laughs) period. Like I think all gays became witches. Like the whole queer community (laughs) was so obsessed with that season that everyone was a witch for like a solid season. You know? Yes, yes, yes. 
There are so many parallels, too. I mean, (laughs) I've brought this up on the show before, and I'm in no way trying to equalize these experiences. But we say as witches that we come out of the broom closet, you know, and so I think queerness and witchery have always been sisters in a way. Mm. You know, it's about being this marginal kind of figure and also someone that, let's be honest, very right wing Christians aren't so happy with. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I just think of all the things I've learned from the queer community and everything I've learned from witchcraft they're serving the same ultimate mission. You know, queer people, I think, have taken it upon themselves to lead the charge of not casting judgment, being mindful to other people. You know, like, here's a perfect example. You go to a queer drag show, you go to a drag show in a very queer community, and I'm not talking trademark gay, but queer community. Mm. The likelihood that there's going to be an interpreter there is so high. Mm -hmm. The likelihood that they've taken into consideration accessibility because queer people know what it's like to be not considered. Yes. And so I think queer people lead the charge in considering others. It's just so funny that it's like something so simple, but like the likelihood that there's going to be an ASL interpreter at a queer event is so much higher Mm -hmm. than any given straight event, you know, Mm -hmm. because they take that consideration. Being marginalized makes you feel more compassionate (laughs) towards others. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so beautiful. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. I've been a longtime fan of esoteric book publisher Wiser Books, so I am super excited about the Wiser Tarot. The Wiser Tarot is a fresh and vibrant reimagining of the classic 1909 Waite-Smith Tarot. This version is designed to not be so Eurocentric, and the cards have been newly repainted, while of course preserving Pamela Coleman Smith's original line art, creating a fresh, flowing aesthetic. The cards also provide Hebrew and astrological correspondences to the major arcana, not included in the original Rider-Waite-Smith deck, for those seekers who have interest in Kabbalah and astrology. The accompanying book includes a brief history of the tarot, a look at how the Rider-Waite-Smith deck came to be, the story behind the creation of the wiser tarot, key words for interpreting the cards, tarot spreads including a new Ankh spread created especially for the wiser tarot, and an annotated list of recommended reading for further study. The Wiser Tarot is an exciting evolution for tarot lovers everywhere, and it's available now. If you are a witch with discerning tastes, and I know you are, you need to visit Lilith Amberley Village Witch, where you will find a beautifully curated collection of witchy and magical items. All merchandise is carefully selected, not only for its gorgeous aesthetic and quality, but also for who and where it came from. Lilith Amberley Village Witch works with many women-owned businesses and ensures products like white sage are gathered with ethical and sustainable methods. 
If you are looking for items like pendulums, jewelry, travel altars, and the like that are handcrafted by local artisans instead of mass-produced, then this is the place to shop. Like a local witch shop, Lilith Amberley also offers tarot readings and serves as a resource hub for witches and aspiring witches alike. Exclusive VIP list members get access to it all, including free ritual and spell guides and special offers like 50% off your first tarot reading. And Witchwave listeners get something extra special, 10% off all your merchandise orders for Ever. All you have to do is go to lilithamberley.com slash witchwave to sign up for free and get all the details, including your 10% off witchwave code. Would you like even more witchwave? Do you wish you could hear from me and my other bewitching guests on a weekly basis? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witchwave Plus episodes, ad-free Witchwave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my workshops before they sell out. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly online rituals and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful witch wave witches around the world. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thank you so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with queen of all queens, Jinx Monsoon. <laughs> so Jinx, we need to talk about your crowning moment. I understand it was pre-recorded, but you still said what you said. And I quote, I claim this in the name of Hecate, mother of witches. I mean, I'm telling you, my screams screamed. I was just so overjoyed. Can you please walk us through why that specific grouping of words came out of your mouth <laughs> well it came at the end of me being very mushy i'm very open and very candid about my feelings and my emotions out of drag but in drag i tend to be all comedy you know mm -hmm. <laughs> So here I am on a stage in front of RuPaul and all the other queens in high horde drag claiming <laughs> this prize. And I had been very vulnerable and mushy. And my brain said, OK, now end it on a joke, but also end it on something you believe in. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it was like this funny thing of like, I knew it would be one of the funniest things I could possibly say at that moment. <laughs> but it was also like, this is in line with who I am. This is in line with who I've presented as this season. And it was like a one-two punch of like, I get to be very, very funny and also do one last witchy thing. Yes. 
<laughs> and Hecate has been coming up just constantly for years in my life. And I feel like I had to give her some homage, pay her some homage, yes. because I feel like every time I turn around, there's Hecate. <laughs> oh, I love it. So is she kind of like your number one matron goddess, if you will? I always kind of feel like different goddesses for different times of your life. But I feel like my long running, I've always been very attached to the goddess Hera, Mm -hmm. partially because I feel like she gets a really bad rap. Yeah. I feel like she's been, you know, like turned into the villain in most uh, stories. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't get as much recognition as she deserves. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone wants Mm -hmm. to talk about Aphrodite all the time. So Hera. (laughs) That whore. (laughs) So Hera's always been my road dog goddess for a long time. (laughs) I love that. But of course, since my deep delve into discovering my own place in the practice of witchcraft and how witchcraft fits into my life, you you kind of can't study witchcraft without Hecate being a <laughs> yeah. Whether you're trying to or not, she comes up everywhere because, you know, mother of witches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I was so happy to hear her name. And I remember the first time I saw you perform her name that I can recall is actually in your Christmas special when you have like a quick Hecate, Hecate, Hecate <laughs> song. I think that's probably the first time I recall you bringing her name up. Am I misremembering? No, I think so. I got to say, and I felt the freedom to do this since our conversation, but I've always, you know, like, how do I make jokes about something I believe in, you know, or how do I make jokes about something that I know is reverent and important to so many people? And is there a way to be reverent and humorous at the same time? And to me, it's all about presentation, you know, like I'm not saying anything inflammatory. I'm not saying anything I don't believe in. I'm just choosing the funniest possible words to express myself. Yes. And nothing says I'm a witch and I have a sense of humor like evoking Hecate <laughs> at the drop of a hat. I mean. <laughs> agree. Agree. You know, that reminds me, RuPaul often says that laughter is the most powerful magic. And I think that Rue is quoting, oh my goodness, is it Hocus Pocus or Practical (laughs) Magic? I think like she got that from somewhere else, but- I'm not even sure. Yeah, but to (laughs) me, I say that a lot to people. Um, Someone once asked me like, what's the best way to de-haunt your house? Mm -hmm. And I told that person what was told to me, which is to flash them and laugh really, really (laughs) loud. like. Ghosts just like will scatter away. And so to me, that's so much of what you're doing, too. It really is like deep magic. And I think humor is such an important part of spirituality in general. I think capital S spirit, the gods, whatever we want to call it, wants us to enjoy and delight in this amazing creation. And that means Mm -hmm. bringing our whole selves to it, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, I enjoy everything in my life through humor and through playfulness. So I've always had this worry that there's like some, you know, council of witches somewhere and they're like, (laughs) this one doesn't take it seriously. And I'm like, (laughs) for me, I just feel like 
you can't have a sense of humor about it, then then you do kind of become one of those sanctimonious soapbox people. And nothing shuts me down to learning new things more than when I feel like this person is talking down to me condescending a hundred percent and i really do consider rue to be some kind of like ascended master Mm. not that rue is perfect and i don't think that any teacher is supposed to be but Mm. rue to me seems like deeply spiritual deeply wise and i wondered did your relationship with her feel different this time around uh, having Mm. you know both coming to this competition with a little bit more confidence and experience and also just knowing each other for a longer amount of time. One thing I'd like to say is that Rue has gained a lot of her mindset from Return to Love by Marianne Williamson, mm-hmm. which... Former presidential <laughs> candidate. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of teachings from that book have really resonated with me as well. So I think between my first season and this season, Rue and I have studied at some of the same schools of thought, you know, mm-hmm. and since Rue puts out her own books and is very, very vocal about, you know, the practices she has in her life, I feel like I've learned from Rue and then also from the same sources that Rue learned from, like how to have a more similar mindset to what she's always, you know, telling the girls. Like when the universe opens a path for you and 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 shows you a path towards something. Oh, time to take my prep. Anyway, when the, <laughs> when the universe opens a door for you, you'd be silly not to walk through that door, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like she's constantly telling the people on Drag Race, like, don't make this too hard on yourself. Like, don't make this harder than it needs to be. You want this outcome. The universe is opening a door that's giving you a path towards that outcome. Stop fighting it and follow it, you know, and see what happens. Yes. And I think that's one of the things that Rue's constantly boasting that resonates with me the most, because that's how I felt when I found drag. Like, I always knew I wanted to be a performer. But when I found drag, it was like, and this is how you're going to do it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And and obviously I'm extraordinarily biased here, but I think it's no mistake that if witchcraft truly means a lot to you, instead of you resisting it or compartmentalizing it, you chose to infuse your character with it, with humor, and then you won because you brought your whole <laughs> self to this character. And it doesn't matter that it was witchcraft. If you had gotten really into like... I don't know, biology <laughs> since, <laughs> since we had talked and then you had like some scientist aspect to your character, whatever it is. I just think that that's one of the reasons why you resonated so much with the judges. I mean, certainly you're immensely talented, but I think that authenticity really shines through. Well, I think we're in a point where authenticity is having a renaissance. And that sounds like such an ambiguous statement, mm. but... I always create my work from a place of truth. It's usually things that I've been through in my life or things that I've learned that I want to share with my audience. So it's always from a place of truth. 
I watched All Stars 7 and thought, you know, I really feel good about how you're getting to know me this time. Yeah. Not that I w didn't feel good about it last time, but the production this time was very much letting us tell our own stories. And I felt like you really got to know who I currently am in the world and in my life on All Star 7. And I think authenticity is what people are gravitating towards right now. It's why the pressure is being put on producers to let people tell their own stories. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to write a queer character, let a queer person play that role. If right. you're going to write a trans character, there's no excuse not to let a trans person tell the trans story, you know? Exactly. Because we are craving that authenticity. And I think especially with like years of feeling like the powers that be have just been lying, blatantly lying to our faces. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're looking for authenticity and we're finding it in art and entertainment right now because we're certainly not getting it from our politicians or our <laughs> leaders. Yep, yep, <laughs> absolutely. And I think it's such a wonderful paradox about drag that it's this craft, if you will, and this art of artifice and shape-shifting, but that it allows all these revelations to happen mm -hmm. and all of this truth to come shining through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's shape-shifting, but it's not hiding. You know, it's not shape-shifting mm. to hide or become someone you're not. It's shape-shifting to become another true form of yourself or to unleash an aspect of yourself. Like when I started drag. I was not out as non-binary. I was not presenting femme. Today, I identify as a trans femme non-binary human being with a penis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like that checks all the boxes. You know, that's what my grinder profile says. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because it's like through drag, I used to get into drag and walk to or cab to my show and then stay in drag after my show go out drinking with my friends, maybe flirt with a guy, all of this in drag, because that was where I compartmentalized all my feminine energy, because I had convinced myself it had no place in my day-to-day -day life. Even though I was an out gay man, I was convincing myself that my femininity was something to be compartmentalized and stowed away somewhere else. And then I just realized a, I don't have to do that. B, I have the privilege of not having to do that for my own safety or for my job. Like my job is now to do this professionally. So why am I denying myself this aspect of myself in my day-to-day -day life? So then I, you know, come out as non-binary. I start presenting femme. I start dressing the way I've always felt like I wanted to dress, but didn't allow myself to. Mm -hmm. And everything about my presentation became more authentic to who I feel I am. And now drag is my job. Like I have no interest in being in drag when I'm not working because I don't need drag as my vessel to express that part of my truth yes. because I brought it into my day-to-day -day life. And Rue talks about this a lot that like the power that you have as a drag queen you can access that at any time when you discover what it is. Like when you discover what it is about drag that gives you 
that sense of power or when you discover what you have in drag that you don't have out of drag, you can then tap into it at any point in your life. And I feel like if that's not witchcraft. <laughs> exactly. What is? Oh, gorgeous. So listen, we just have a few moments left. Mm-hmm. I would love us to wind down by talking about things you may want to manifest for yourself. Because mm-hmm. as much as you are now the queen of all queens, you have so much wonderful kind of victory to splash around in and revel in <laughs> right now. I would love to hear some of the things that you would love to grow into. I know that at some point you mentioned auditioning for Saturday Night Live, which I'm the hugest SNL person ever. I personally could see you starring on Broadway someday. Like, tell me some of the big dreams and speak them into existence. Well, definitely. I've always had the dream of playing Mrs. Lovett in Sweeney Todd. I've even done a whole, like, in my mind, I've done an all queer, all gender blind casting of Sweeney Todd. Um, Heaven, heaven, heaven. So (laughs) I just have to find the right producer. (laughs) Well, some producers listen to this very podcast, (laughs) I'll have you know. Fabulous, fabulous. So basically, if I got to play any of my favorite roles in a Sondheim musical, Sondheim's my favorite. That sounds kind of basic. It's like, ooh, ooh, revolutionary. Sondheim's my favorite. (laughs) Sondheim (laughs) is good, like famous for a reason. I mean, brilliant, brilliant and so on. Yes. I think what I'm most interested in doing at this point in my life is focusing on creating work with my favorite collaborators. I've got a new sketch show coming out with Wow Presents Plus, which is uh, called Sketchy Queens. Um, (laughs) It's a sketch show that I co-created with my friend Liam Krug. We were both born and raised in Portland, Oregon. We went to the same middle school and the same high school just at different times. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of the same experiences from our youth. And I think this shaped our very similar twisted, dark sense of humor. So I'm excited about that. Love it. Of course, Dela and I are about to create our holiday tour for the year, the winter holiday tour. And are you coming to New York, Jinx Monson? Oh, we've got two nights in New York. (laughs) Yes. Um, Doing the UK, Canada, and the US once more. We're very excited about that. Major Scales and I just released a new EP. It's called The Virgo Odyssey Prologue. That's the name of the EP. It's five tracks from what will be our feature album, which will be called The Virgo Odyssey. Ah. It's about Jinx Monsoon getting stranded in outer space in the distant future. (laughs) And she's trying to get home and goes on a hero's journey, trying to get home and fighting the oppressive powers that have taken over Earth. (laughs) Ah, divine. And let me just say that I have listened to this EP. It is magnificent. (laughs) I love your cover of Yellow's Strange Magic. And the video (laughs) is so gorgeous, too. Yeah, the video is directed by my friend, Frank Correa. Frank just has the most beautiful mind. He's got the best sense of humor, but also just his photography is always stunning. And 
Um, he's done some video work and I was like, please direct this music video, but we have to do it entirely on green screen because I want it to look like I'm in some kind of fantasy realm. And yes. Frank was just like, yes, and there will be bugs and there will be rats. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, those are real. Those are practical effects. Yeah. You are having a little rat crawl all yeah. over you. <laughs> Frank is actually the only other person in the music video. I want him to direct a lot more of my music videos. But as far as my like long-term manifestation, I really want, there's a mantra that everyone should use in their life and it's work smarter, not harder. So my big goals for this stage in my life is putting a lot of my focus and effort into the big projects that I really love and care about. And then when I'm not doing those, taking time off to be at home. Because for 10 years, I've been saying, I'm going to spend more time at home. I'm going to find a better work-life balance. And for 10 years, I've put that off. I am now married. Mm -hmm. I now have this house that I cannot stress enough how much I love living in my own house. <laughs> Mm -hmm, I got my cats. Mm -hmm. I got my chosen family. I got my video games. Uh, it's time. It's time <laughs> to give them all some real attention. So my hope is to go from touring 85% of the year and being home 15% of the year, trying to get that to a nice 50-50 in the coming years. <laughs> so mote it be and so it is. Oh, Jinx. I am so happy for you. I am just in awe of you. And I feel so blessed that our stars have aligned. So I just want to give the biggest, biggest thank you, the biggest virtual hug <laughs> to you. You have done me so proud. You've done the witchcraft community so proud. And I know many, many other communities beyond us. So thank you so much for your magic, Jinx. Well, thank you, Pam. I really feel like meeting you was a big... It was a big step in my life towards being the person I love being right now. Like, honestly, I had so much trepidation. I was thinking, what does it mean to want to incorporate witchcraft into my life and into my art, and my work? And then shortly after that, I met you. We had our first conversation and I felt like, OK, Pam Grossman told me everything I need to know. I'm a witch now. I'm a drag queen witch. Let's go. Let's get this going. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you make me cry at the end of this podcast rude rude Ugh. well thank you so much you sweet thank sweet you, darling <laughs> it is such an honor you really honor me with those words i hope you'll come back i hope i get to see you perform in new york oh many, you got it your places. tickets are already it set up babe <laughs> hell yes and i can't wait to be with you again in person until then all the love in the world and so much congratulations, Jinx. Thank you, Pam. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> That's it for the show. Thank you again to Jinx Monsoon for being such a shining example of vivid living and magical artistry. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on The Witch Wire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. 
This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now by Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. And if you want more WitchWave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.